Bring it in. Read option back. Second pod this week. Uh, apologies, got we had some uploading issues with the pod yesterday, but we are back and better than ever. Uh, we are doing our first college football preview pod today. Uh, and we're going to start finally with, with you. And we do have the whole crew as well. Scotty Vito, everyone's here. Um, we're going to start with the, the main topic of a lot of our college football conversations because two thirds of this podcast has some sort of a, a, a bias you might be able to say, um, which is the big 10. So we are going to go through the whole big 10 today, uh, kind of preview this conference while we still have power five conferences. Uh, and I'm excited to get into it because there's a whole bunch to get to. And in my opinion, maybe the best team in college football exists in the big 10. Uh, and spoiler alert, it's not Penn State. Sorry, boys. How are both of you? It's great to see you both. And uh, I'm excited to talk some ball. Yeah, man. Uh, no, excited to be talking talking football, NFL, and then college. This has been a treat. Um, Mount Cleveland now. Uh, so, you know, still in the travel game. But, dude, just can't wait. It hit August, right? And, like, I, I don't know why I'm just starting to get so amped for all of just discussions about football. I saw an email about doing a uh, mock draft yesterday and I'm pretty sure my blood pressure went up like 40% just out of excitement. I was so thrilled. Love a good mock draft. Uh, No, I'm with you, Vito, and you're in the heart of big 10 country uh, there in Cleveland. And when you and I go back home to the West coast in a couple of years, we'll be in the heart of big 10 country. So uh, excited to talk about uh, this upcoming year. Uh, I do want to talk about too. uh, just touch on it briefly. Uh, we lost a second legend uh, in the sports world this week. We uh, did in Vince Scully. So uh, I did. I did a little uh, uh, MLB roundup uh, that uh, I'm not sure if Jeff is releasing it or not, but I did a, a little tribute to him there. So go check that out uh, if you can. But uh, another uh, legend, him and uh, Vince Scully and Bill Russell uh, in the same week. So yeah, all that will be released same time as this pod comes out. So by the time you're hearing this now, uh, the baseball roundup as well as the uh the bill russell piece from scotty will be on the same feed as our typical read option feed uh, but you're right vin scully and it says uh it says a lot that there's when i mean obviously look everything's bigger than sports but uh for the dodgers play-by-play for for scotty to still uh give his give his not just his condolences but his heartfelt uh, legitimate thing. I mean, Vince Scully's one of a kind. The list, did you guys see the list of things he called when yeah. that was going around? Yeah. I yeah. mean, it, it's, it's like the, 25 World Series. It, it, the Buckner yeah. World Series, the, you know, through Buckner's legs, the the catch, um, classic Joe Montana, Dwight Clark. I mean, just so, so many massive things. The Kirk Gibson home run, mm. um, which I heard this amazing story about that, which was that and, and you'll hear and, and people talk about kind of the industry as a whole and broadcasters, play-by-play guys, you know, when, uh, when a big moment happens, you want to let the broadcast breathe, right? You don't want to be the guy who something huge happens and you're screaming over, Oh my God, this is crazy. And you're kind of stepping over the moment you want to supposedly when Kirk Gibson hit the home run, he saw the ball fly out. And the second it crossed over, he turned his back 
entirely to what was happening. So that way he didn't let his excitement, especially as the Dodgers play-by-play guy, um, overstep the moment. And I thought that was just a really, it, it speaks volumes as to a guy who's his whole life and everything was dedicated to the sport of baseball. So um, Vince Scully, 94 years old, uh, absolute legend and uh, will, will be missed. Will be missed for sure. Um, it's so funny. I always think of him as the, the voice from a uh, major league, but it's not, it's the, it's the dude from no, it's Bob Uecker, Bob yeah. Uecker. Thank you. Um, but still, I mean, those guys, let's be honest, those two kind of, they looked kind of similar, right? I'm not totally off base with that. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I think no. Vin was a little more polished, but yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, but I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things where it's not someone from your era. I think you kind of, you kind of overlook it, but nonetheless, uh, rest in peace to a legend. Um, with that being said, I'm still down here at the beach. Got a couple more days. Uh, let's get into it, boys. Um, we're going to start Big Ten today. We're going to get all of the college football wrapped up. By, because by the end of this month, we have college football. Like The best part about college football is that week zero and week one you basically get like a week and a half, almost two weeks of college football before the NFL comes into full swing. Uh, I can't wait. Who early favorites here in college football as a whole? Like what? Because what, I before we get into the Big Ten, I, I want to take a moment just to think excitement getting into the college football mindset. Because as much as we love the NFL on this podcast, college football always hits different. And for a lot of different reasons for you guys, you guys went to a power five school, you went to a big 10 school, you went to a legendary football program. Um, But for me, it's just, they're two almost different sports, even though it's the same sport at just different levels. So what are you most excited about to have college football come back? What's the, what's the leading storyline here could be on the field. Could just be you as a fan that you're excited about here as we kick off the 2022 college football season. Uh, I think the uh, Alabama revenge tour has already begun. Uh, so we'll uh, look forward to that. Uh, but I, I think one of the things I'm excited for is uh, is seeing how some of these teams who took a step uh, last year, the Cincinnati's, the Kentucky's, the, the Houston's of the world, uh, who were here to say that they're not little brother anymore. Uh, they firmly entrenched themselves in the in the top 25, and in most cases in the top 15. Uh, Michigan State, another one, Oklahoma State, uh, so uh, BYU, who had a, a great run. Uh, but uh, beyond that, uh, NC State too. There's another one. Uh, beyond that, you know, uh, I think some of these uh, some of these big games, uh, particularly for those those kind of schools, uh, the 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 non Oklahoma and Texas and the Big 12, everyone else. Uh, the non-USC and UCLA's in the in the Pac-12 out here looking for revenge uh, over the next two years because they kind of screwed uh, or those those schools I mentioned kind of screwed the rest of the conferences. So Bill uh, Baylor getting uh, getting chippy with uh, with Texas and Oklahoma in the in the Big 12. I'm here for it. I love it. Yeah, for me, I think there's a lot of those schools you said there, Scotty, that I'm expecting to honestly fall off like just the amount of grads that like since he had, right. There are so many skilled players that got drafted. I mean, Luke Fickle's done a great job, but I'm really interested to see where they fall. I I don't expect them to have a similar success, but I don't expect them to have a complete five, you know, five and seven season (laughs) at the same time. So I think the, the, the two stories there are where do some of those schools fall back to 
or can they take another step? And there's always teams that have a bunch of seniors that come out, especially with COVID and extra eligibility and what's going on. It's really changed, I think, some of, of the aspect of um, what a senior leader means on some of these teams. And I'm really excited to see, uh, specifically in the Big Ten, as we're going to talk through today, there are some some different pieces there and some different schools that uh, I think could overperform what we're thinking. And, you know, we've been Penn State fans, and, and the honest truth is we've underperformed for the last two years. So there's always going to be teams that over and underperform. The key is, are you doing better than what you expected? Life's all about expectations. So I'm going in, you know, I'm hoping for eight wins. But again, I think the Big Ten East specifically, let's see how it all falls down. And um, I'm, I'm excited for that. Now, to your point, Jeff, who we're like excited for contender-wise, I think, yeah, I think a lot of it's Bama. Um, uh, to me, that's like the number one. Ohio State's a great team. They really are. What about a, what about a team like Clemson that uh, that was on the outside looking in last year, but now they've got an experienced defensive line? Well, I mean, all of these are great examples of, of the storylines that we're probably going to get to. And it's just, even though it's a different year, even though we have those same names, Scotty, to your point, there's all these new teams that have had a great year last year on poise to make a great year this year. So the playoffs – Right. And having since you go like all of these things are now it's a little more open, I feel like, than it has been in years past now that we've kind of broken that barrier with them with Cincy. But in general, um, this definitely comes back to the powerhouses that will be in that tournament at the end of the year. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit weird, right, because coming into this season, I see three teams realistically um, and even still. I'm not as high on Georgia as other people are. I mean, I get it what they what they're bringing back, but knowing the 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 difference that experience, like you know, Nick Saban. We were talking about this right before we recorded, talking about Alabama being um, last year was a rebuilding year for them, right? And a rebuilding year for them is being in the national championship. I see Georgia in that light, right? Which like, yeah, you have Stetson Bennett back, so at least you have some experience and and but they lost so many pieces on that defense is and that defense is ultimately what got them over the top i think we've been quick to forget alabama didn't have their number one or number two wide receiver in that national championship game too so alabama damn near could have won that and if it wasn't for georgia's defense being as incredible as it was in addition to being helped not having to face jameson williams and john mechie that game goes totally different. So I see Alabama as that prime team ready to take a step. I'm fascinated to see what happens with Michigan after finally getting the monkey off their back and beating Ohio State, right, and and winning the Big Ten. Um, but to me, this year is, a, is kind of a two-horse race for the national championship with Alabama and Ohio State, who, in my opinion, are the, are the two clear-cut best teams at the top of college football. And then after them, and this is why college football is so great, is that we knew that going into last year, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, right? And yeah, you got your Cincinnati and you get your Michigan who make the playoff and that makes it exciting. But that's what I'm excited about. I'm excited to see who's who are the teams that we don't necessarily know right now that are going to make that college football playoff, right? Michigan State coming out of nowhere last year. Cincinnati mm-hmm. going undefeated and finding their way into, I mean, Utah making a push late, like, uh, you know, Baylor, right. And Oklahoma state, Oklahoma state was an inch away from potentially making the college football playoff last year. 
I'm so curious as to who are going to be teams three and four, maybe just even four, who crack the college football playoff. Because the problem, and this is why there's been so much overhaul with college football, is that we know that there's a there's a power balance that's out of whack here in college football. We know that Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia and, and, and even Clemson over certain periods of times, and, and the big five there are, are a step ahead of everybody else. But we still care about it so much week in and week out, which is what makes college football so freaking amazing. Because if it was the NFL and we knew that there were three teams who had a shot to make the Super Bowl, I don't know if the same thing would happen, but for college football, because of how unique it is, I'm really excited for that. And I'm also excited to get all of the off the field, all of the NIL, the, the expansion, the college, the, the conference realignment, all that shit put aside so we can talk ball and we can sit down on Saturdays and watch these kids show out and play football. Cause ultimately that's what we love about college football, college football Saturdays. Oh, yeah. And and I'm really excited to the last team I'll mention is I'm just really curious to see what happens with Lincoln Riley at USC. Mm-hmm. Like, like, what does that look like here? Because that's a we've all talked about it. You know, in the Pac-12, I feel like there's always been two losses. So, you know, can you make a run with one or even none? And, and what does that look like out of that conference? I know USC's always recruited well. There's always going to be talent at that school. So I think that's one place where Lincoln Riley can have an immediate impact and maybe take them you know, right to the top. So, well, and they got Caleb Williams and they, they got multiple mm-hmm. wide receiver transfers and they got the, the line of scrimmage for them is still going to be a problem on both sides of the ball, but you're right. Like I see them and, and we'll get to the PAC 12 here in the next couple of weeks, but right. you know, I see USC two win. If they have two losses, that's a really good first year for Lincoln Riley. But mm-hmm. does that also mean that the PAC 12s in another year, with two lost teams across the board. Cause I think there's a really good chance there might be, especially with Oregon without Mario Cristobal, right? That's where Dan Manning's now taking over in, uh, in uh, Eugene. That's a totally different team than what we've seen in years past. So uh, there's a so, lot of questions. To lead it back to the big 10 quick. Could you imagine if a year ago, I told you that in a couple of years, a Lincoln Riley coached USC would be in the big 10. It's <laughs> I'd call you a crazy time traveler. Get out of here. <laughs> it, it still doesn't make sense. It still no, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. But I'm no, excited. But I am excited for that. And we have mm-hmm. the next five years for it. And this is the last thing I'll say about college football now. For those who are not excited or worried or hate the direction that college football is going, there's a, that, that feeds in perfectly as to why we're, we're, we're making the hard switch. We're not going to talk about that stuff anymore. We, this is the pod where we're flipping the switch and we're going, all right, we are talking ball. We are talking about these teams, the conference, and where we can realistically expect them because we don't know how much longer we have this. We don't know how much longer we have this classic style. And I have grown into really loving that. As excited as I am about a potential two super conference league and how amazing all the matchups would be and all that stuff. And, and a part of me is excited for that. The part of me that loves the way the college football exists and how unique it is in the grand, you know, scheme of American sports, I will be very sad to see it go. So, you know, I was just listening to Luke Fickle yesterday on part of my take and, and just, you know, they're getting ready to go to the Big 12 and everything. But it's just like once that switch flips and this happened to me for years when we were, you know, I was working on ESPNU, when that switch flips, 
and you get into football mode, all of the off-season bullshit seems so inconsequential. So let's just take a moment to appreciate the fact that we are going to have classic college football the way we've always had it. Not always, but the way that we're traditionally used to having it, at least, while we still have it. And with that, let's talk about y'all's favorite team, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Oh, God. You got me there. I'm not going to lie. Of course. What? You thought we were going to start with Penn State? Come on. This, I mean, look, I mean, and I'm not trying to be a dick. Ohio State is in as good of a position as they've been in at least since, but two years ago, Justin Fields, a senior year. Um, and even so, that team had some question marks around it on the defensive side of the ball. The, the Buckeyes should be really freaking good this year. And on top of it, too, they have something that they haven't had in a long time, which is a big old chip on their shoulder. And when you're one of the big boys in college football, it only takes one loss. It takes one loss to a rival. It takes the kick six that happened against Alabama. It takes one little thing in college football for all of a sudden, all right, we're the big boys. We're one of the big five. You know what? You woke up a sleeping giant, right? You pissed off the wrong guy here because I still would take Ryan Day as a play caller over almost every single coach in college football. Maybe Lincoln Riley. Yeah, I like Lincoln, but yeah. I would still rather have Ryan Day, if I'm being honest. Like, I think he's the number one play call. Like, if there's one guy I can have in charge of my offense, it's Ryan Day. And they're returning a lot, dude. They are. Right? What, finished second in the Heisman? I think what's going to happen with Ohio State is, to your point, this is going to be – and it has been for years. The physical tools are there. They have the talent. Can you get those people behind them? And even last year, remember – even though it didn't affect them directly, the Urban Meyer stuff going back there, there was even like, not to say they had distractions, but there was at least, it was a different environment, that transition. Ryan Day, I I believe in as a coach. I'm excited to see what another year with his people and his guys, and he was around beforehand, don't get me wrong. He's had his guys because he's been recruiting, you know, even before he was a coach. But like that whole team and that mindset, I'm really excited to see what happens because we clearly have learned in the last year that Urban Maybe that was a one-year thing in Jacksonville, but we got obviously a lot more insight into his coaching style when he was in Jacksonville in the NFL. And I'm really excited to see, you know, the more years Ohio State gets away. And don't get me wrong, he's extremely successful and, you know, a legendary college football coach. But, you're, you know, it makes me wonder, is this a better direction that Ryan Day is taking him in? And what does his stamp on the program look like? Because as you're an assistant and you, you know, you get promoted, it's kind of like, oh, you're continuing something. Well, clearly now the narrative is not, Ohio State does not want to continue Urban Meyer. They want to continue the success, but they want to hold different, like a little bit of a, a different identity. And I'm excited because I, I, to your point, I like Ryan Day, man. I like his attitude. I like how he comes to work. I like like how, the clips they have of him talking to players in practice. He's got that whole motivation of like, you know, never be standing still. You better be moving. This is a professional environment, but we're going to have fun. And you damn well better believe you're going to get better every day. And if you can have that kind of guy as a leader, you know, I, I, that's that's all you can ask for, really. Well, and part of it, too, is remember, Ryan Day has had this last year was the first speed bump on his career. Right. Yeah. His first year as head coach, 2020, you have the pandemic. Right. There's no fans. You have Justin Fields to make it all the way to the national championship game. And they end up getting right, right. They made it all the correct. Thank you, Scotty. Um, and they end up getting smoked um, by LSU. So 
or no, was that 2019? No, God, I'm getting all my years. Alabama. Thank you. Yeah. Um, they lost to Clemson the year before. Um, and then Clemson lost to LSU. And then the next year they go, they get the revenge against Clemson and Trevor Lawrence. And then they go on to get smoked by Devonte Smith and, and that, to, uh, that whole Alabama team. Um, what's interesting here is that last year, especially losing to Michigan, Right. And, and one of the things that makes college football so unique are the hardcore rivalries. And there are very few, if any, in college football that mean as much as Ohio State and Michigan. And I think the fact that they lost that game, it's no longer this rosy. Oh, we lost to Clemson, you know, and then we come back and win the next year. Like, none of all that's over for Ryan Day. Ryan Day has been there. This is going to be his fourth season as the head coach at Ohio State. He has a returning quarterback who lit it up. And the fact that last year, I still think, and cover your ears here, I, I do believe that Ohio State was the best team in the Big Ten last year. They lost a really, really tough game in the snow in Ann Arbor against the perfect storm of circumstances. And yet they still almost ended up winning the Big Ten. They're only going to be better this year. And yeah, they lost C.J. Stroud. And yeah, they lost uh, – who was the other wide receiver who went to the Jets? Um Alave. Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson. Alave. Alave. Yeah. So they lose Alave. They, they lose Garrett Wilson. But then they have Jackson Smith and Jigba right behind them. They have Marvison Harrison, and, Marvin yeah, Harrison Jr. Exactly. right behind them. Right. Do, remember how, what, what do you have? Like four touchdowns in the Rose Bowl? <laughs> you know, Jackson yeah. Smith and Jigba. Like they have so much talent. And the offense last year with a first time starting quarterback with a, you know, a good backfield and two really good wide receivers still averaged almost eight <clears throat> yards per play, 7.96 yards per play last year. <laughs> and you think, oh, yeah, and then they're going to be better. And oh, by the way, then they go out and add, I think, one of the top five defensive coordinators in college football and Jim Knowles to fix the defense. Their offensive line had almost, with the exception of one player, was all first-year guys who were stepping into a starting role. They return almost all of the starting offensive line next year. I don't see a world where Ohio State loses a single game until we get to the end of the season. Yeah, it's tough. You talk about the offense. Um, look, if the most elite trio of skill players and, and quarterback combo in college football is at Ohio State with C.J., Stroud, uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba and uh, and Travion Henderson at running back. They they can step off the bus and get you forty like that. Uh, not to mention the guys that you uh, have mentioned in Marvin Harrison Jr. filling in for uh, uh, Olave and Wilson and those guys. The O line, I, I, I agree with you. Um, Going to be better. Uh, they were decidedly uh, not as physical as an Ohio State offensive line usually is uh, last year, um, and they're lacking a little bit, I think, in depth this year. Uh, if that's if there is an Achilles heel, heel I think it might be that. Uh, but on defense, uh, you know, look, they had so yeah. many issues uh, last year. Uh, on on the front, they got no pressure. Uh, on the back end, they couldn't cover as well as they usually uh, do for an Ohio State program. And they got Jim Knowles, who was at Oklahoma State. My issue with their defense is that they need to develop a a next level pass rusher, uh, and I think they have the the talent and the and the coaching for that. The linebackers won't be worse than they were last year. The back seven will be just fine. Uh, they may give up a few explosive plays, but hey, that's fine when you're doing that, and then you can give the ball back to the best offense in college football. I mean, that's not a big deal at all. Uh, 
what sticks out to me from last year in an area where they need to get way better in, in this year is their rush defense. The last three games, they gave up uh, an average of, I think it was over 190, 196 rushing yards per game in the last three. Those were against Purdue, Michigan State, and Michigan. Um, and then overall in the season, they gave up 127. They averaged 127 rushing yards per game, which was 24th in the country. That's not an Ohio State defense that we're used to seeing. So that's the only thing they need to get a little more physical on on defense. And I think Jim, Jim Knowles is the guy. Granted, uh, there's been talk of, uh, of you know, the learning curve at, at places he goes. It takes a little while for the uh, the defensive players to uh, to get adjusted to a system. But on the other hand, he didn't have all the four- and five-star recruits on defense that are going to be playing for him at Ohio State. So, and that's what I was going to uh, say. I mean, look at the guys that he he took at Oklahoma State and turned into a yeah. top-five defense in college football last year. I mean, was Malcolm Rodriguez, was that his name? The, the middle linebacker at Oklahoma State last year, who I honestly don't even think ended up getting drafted. Um like and he turned him into a finalist for the bucket or uh, yeah for the bucket sport like this the stuff he was able to do and you're right there is going to be a learning curve but that he's got such a higher caliber and higher quality player stepping in for him and the transfer portal is bigger for them too right because they didn't need transfers from on the offensive side of the ball so they attacked the transfer portal on the defensive end of it um, and I think just bringing in a guy like Jim Knowles is huge. I mean, dude, like they averaged 22.8 points a game and 5.3 yards per play last year. That is horrendous for Ohio state standards. And to your point, Scotty, and part of the reason why I'm so high here is that there's not, and this is no disrespect to your, you know, Nittany lions or to Michigan or Michigan state. There's not an offense in the big 10 that holds a candle. To no. these guys, like I mean, not like, even remotely close. This is like, like an yeah. offensive, just offense alone. Right now, Ohio State's playing chess, and the, everyone else in the Big Ten's playing checkers. They have an SEC high scoring, high powered offense, and they did last year too. But they were young and experienced, and a really good defense, like Michigan, was able to kind of take advantage of it, or like even Oregon was able to take advantage. Yeah, against I, I was going to say, even but, though yes, they have an explosive offense. When college football, when you get to these games, the best thing about the Big Ten is we, as a conference, are the best conference, that's in the SEC, are set up correctly to have a great defense, run the ball heavy, limit the amount of possessions that a high-powered offense can have. And, you, you, I mean, Michigan played out of their minds, to your point, to win that game, right, and to beat them. Oregon just straight-up dominated them. That was early in the year. So what I'm looking at is what's going to happen here from an early standpoint, do they get off to the start they want? Because if they don't lose that Oregon game and they lose to Michigan, right, that's a whole different conversation we're having at the end of the year. Yeah. But I, I would hmm. also say this, too, and because if that happens, chances are Ohio State, because Ohio State wouldn't have won the Big Ten, but they would have been a one-loss Ohio State team. They they get in over Cincinnati. Oh, yeah, um, I think so. Easy. But the difference is, who's the team in the Big Ten that has that defense that Michigan had last year. Cause it sure shit isn't Michigan. It, it might, it, it's it not might be Penn, Wisconsin. It's not Penn Wisconsin state. The or only Iowa. one Look. is Wisconsin. And even so yeah. Iowa lost guys last year. I, yeah. And, Wisconsin and was, it's, it's Wisconsin the, ended up number one in, in overall defense last year. Now that's hard to repeat years in a well, row, but they are returning defense, a lot of people in their defense in the last five years, they've been a top three defense 
on average in the last 10 years, they've been a top five defense. Like they're the only school that I can realistically say that they do finish that high. But part of that also comes from playing in the big 10 West. It does. Yeah. And so Ohio state gets both of those in their, in their West team draw this year, They do uh, Wisconsin and Iowa, but they're both home games for Ohio Mm -hmm. state. So, uh, but if there are two teams who can sort of take the air out of the ball, old school, big 10 style football with, uh, with, Smash, smash mouth running and, and, and defense. It's those two, right? Those are the quintessentials. So, well, and Wisconsin's uh, really interesting, and we'll get to them in a little bit. But Wisconsin's defense, I think, is going to be even better than it was last year. They return a lot of their starters. Um, their offense should also be better this year than it was last year with another year of Graham Hurts. And again, another side of the ball where they didn't lose half of their offensive line. Like Wisconsin, it's Wisconsin's turn to win the Big Ten West. For the last 15 years, the Big Ten West is a revolving door of whose turn is it? Iowa, Northwestern, Michigan, right? And it just constantly cycles through every because those programs are built on programs who recruit long standing bases. And then once they have their like seniors come up, and it's like, oh, we have this perfect culmination. That's when they get there. But Wisconsin is as for as good as Wisconsin's defense might be. This offense is going to be so explosive for Ohio State that I don't think there's any team, no matter, I don't think there's a defense out there other than maybe Alabama or Georgia who's going to be able to slow them down so much that they'll be able to outscore them still. Like, I think even Wisconsin's only going to be able to slow them down. And I think my favorite statistic, especially especially with college, um, is like we all know it comes down to third down. Third down percentage, what, what do you get? And last year, Ohio State was second in third down conversions. They had, they're over 50%. They're 0.523, right? Um, so 52% of the time they converted on third down. Right behind them is Alabama in third place at 52.0%. But this is the crazy part. Ohio State attempted 70 less third downs than Alabama. Like wow. they, they can just move the ball. Like I was like, Oh, that's a really high percentage, but they also just don't get there that often. Like th- that's an incredible statistic. And I think even if you have defenses that get them to third down, that didn't happen often, they'll still going to convert. That's why I'm so scared of this team because well, you know, yeah. one turnover and they can just, to your point, even if good defenses get into third and shorts or third and mediums, they're one of the best at converting it even last year. And I think they will be better this year at that. Well, I'm excited to watch the wide receivers. I mean, I, yeah. I, it's crazy to think that you can lose two first-round wide receivers. Um, what did Olave go? 17, 16 overall? 17 overall? And, you know, Garrett Wilson went in the top 10. Like, top 17 picks, two of them at that mm-hmm. position. And yet, I'm almost more excited and, to watch them this year and, at that yeah, position. Yeah, and backfill it with uh, with two guys who are going to be in the same position. Two guys, and, and and those aren't <laughs> the only two guys, too. Like, that's what's terrifying. Yeah. The one thing I'll say here, and this is where – and one of the things I, I – there's very few things that I want to commend the powers that be at, in college football about. But one of them is the willingness to schedule better out-of-conference games at the top. Uh, we saw it last year, and it ultimately came back to bite Ohio State in the ass, right? They mm-hmm. scheduled Oregon right off the bat. Penn State, you guys had that game against Auburn. It was an amazing game. Um, the fact that – and the best example of this, by the way, last year was Georgia and Clemson. Because if if DJ Uyunglele doesn't throw that pick, Clemson's season goes a totally different way. Because it was, it was clear for the rest of the season that DJ Uyunglele was not the same quarterback 
after throwing that interception and that pick six against Georgia in week one. And for the rest of that season, he wasn't the same guy. The fact that Ohio State's playing Notre Dame week one is really interesting because if there's a time to get Ohio State and for as good as we think Ohio State's going to be, it's going to be week one. It's going to be before they have any momentum, before they have any idea who they are. And look, I still think Ohio State's the better team, and I still think they're going to go in and win that game. But if there's a time to get them, it is that early. And then that I, if, I actually, and if Notre Dame did actually pull it off, sorry to interrupt, Scotty, but if Notre no, Dame does pull that off, then in week four, they have Wisconsin. And at that point, their season the other can, be, can be derailed. So I think it's the other way. I, I think you'd rather get Notre Dame early. As oh, Ohio if, you, State, if you're Ohio then, State, yes. But what I'm yeah. all I'm saying is just that, like, if Notre the, Dame the pulls tiny that, percent, yeah, pulls that off, <laughs> right? And and like, if you're Notre Dame, you would rather face Ohio State week zero or week one to start off the season before mm-hmm. Ohio State gets hot, rather than you know in week ten or you know later on in the year. Yeah, when Penn State plays them. Yeah, yeah, in late ex- October. Ex- yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> um, but I still don't think Ohio State's going to be in any trouble. Um, let's no. let's change up here. Let's go to the team that beat Ohio State last year. Um, and I'll let people know here, too. We are going to talk about each of the teams, but we also are going to be like smart about this. Like Illinois, Rutgers, we're going to give them their conversation because there's interesting conversations to be had. But we know the dynamics in college football. So they're not all it's not going to be equal for every team as we go through here. Um, be, before you move to Michigan, you would do a little uh, over under win totals on Ohio State. I got them pulled up. Is it a, 11 and a half for regular the, uh, season? The, or? the over, yeah, regular season only. Uh, we'll do this for each team. The over under I got is uh, 11. And you can get that uh, over minus 130, the under at plus 110. That's smart to not give the hook. I'm taking the over. Yeah. I, I think they go yeah. 12 and I would and too. I, it's, it's insurance or 13 to take and the over. Yeah. I, I <laughs> I really, really, really like Ohio State this year. And that hurts. I, I've said this to both of you before. I think Ohio State fans are the worst fans in all of sports. And that and and you guys, again, I've, I have sympathy at least towards Penn State fans. I hate Ohio State fans. But I like Ryan Day. I like C.J. Stroud. I like the team that they have there. And that's a really fucking good team. Yeah, I'm going to take exactly 11. I'm going to think they get upset once somewhere along the way. And That's, yeah, I, I'm going to take exactly on the nose. That's where I'm going to go. Pushing it. So does the big 10 championship not get included? I guess it doesn't. If that's if no, that's it's regular just regular season. season. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what? I'm going to stick with it. I think they were on the board. Scotty, what do you have? You have the push. I'm, yeah, no, I'm taking the over. It's, it's easy insurance. And you know, worst case you push uh, on that if you're betting, but it's easy insurance. And I, and I think if there's a team that can go, undefeated and run the table in the big 10 it's them yeah uh let's talk about the team that beat them the michigan wolverines they're in an interesting spot here um they're coming off their best season under jim harbaugh they go to the college football playoff and for as good as that michigan team was man they really did look outclassed against georgia um the question i would have here and we'll get to some of the details because Michigan lost a lot, not just on the field, but in, on their coaching staff, too. Um, is this w- was last year the ceiling of what Jim Harbaugh led teams in college football can be? Was that the was that as far as Jim Harbaugh can take a team? 
man, I, I can't believe that. I mean, he took teams to the Super Bowl, right? Like, I, I like, different I just think, I know it's different. Though. I know it's different, but I just still think there is some, like, this can't be the ceiling. Now I think it's, you know, it's the highest they've performed, but I, I think he could, he is a guy who I don't love as a coach in terms of like, if he was my coach, I'm sure I would, I would classify him more in the Franklin style, like really good. Uh, but like, can he get it done? I like Franklin more than him, in my opinion. And and I, I would also Franklin's say ceiling is higher. Yeah. And I just like him more, but I, I guess to compare the two, like, I also think that if Harbaugh were to go and to have an incredible season with some incredible talent and make the playoffs and, and even win a championship, I don't think, I don't know if they could win one with him, but let's just put it in perspective, right? Like not that many coaches have coached in the college football playoff. So that's a really good, to your point, a really good place to be. I don't know. I mean, I guess if you had to put a gun in my head and say, is he going to do better than this ever again? I'm going to say no. Well, and that's, I mean, there's a, and it's kind of tough. It's, there's a difference. I, at least I think perceptive wise is just as, is this the best he's ever going to do versus is that the ceiling? Cause in my head, right. I think that what we saw last year is the ceiling. I think Jim Harbaugh is incapable of not getting in his own way. And he has a track record of, of spend running his time out at places before he inevitably moves on. Now, Michigan obviously is the place he wanted to be more than anything else. Um, and what he did last year was amazing, but let's also, let's not sit here and you know forget the fact that like, Michigan was damn close in a game against Rutgers. Michigan wasn't like this world beater. Now, last year during the season, I kept telling both of you guys, I like this Michigan team. There's something different about the cut of their jib, right? You know, there's there's yeah, just something and I didn't different like about them. And both of you guys were against me. And ultimately, yes, it did play out that. But I'm also realistic in thinking that, like, I think I don't think that a Jim Harbaugh-led Michigan team can – outperform that i don't think he's able to recruit at the level that saban or smart or Dabo or some of these guys we've seen or franklin or ryan day have done over you know over the course of their time here i just i there's something about harbaugh in particular where i feel like the quarterback thing is the big deal if they if they had any other quarterback that wasn't Cade mcnamara or jj mccarthy that team would have had a much. If they better had Sean chance. Clifford, <laughs> like, yeah, they probably would have nah. been, a, you know, a, l- a little bit better at least. If Trace McSorley, yeah. I mean, there there are guys there who I think that would have been better, but that was remember that offensive line for Michigan won the award for the best offensive line of football. I'm blanking on the name of it, but they won the best offensive line, and then they went Remington? up against. Um, I forget the name. It's going to kill me. Remington is the best individual one. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, uh, yeah. There's a there's a lot. There's, there's a, a team, team one, award, right? but they went up against. And albeit, you know, Jordan Davis, Travion Walker, like some ridiculous yeah. defensive line talent. In addition Nicobe. to Kobe yeah. Dean at linebacker, <laughs> um, but and they just got outclassed. It just was a different sport when they went up against them last year. Scotty, do you see it as that's the ceiling of what we can see there versus? I, I do, yeah. Uh, and you see it when, look, number one, the pressure is going to be higher now because you've been to the college football playoff and you've lost, uh, you hit on two gems that nobody else had in Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo. 
who you lost both of those guys in the draft. So now you're the, the pressure is astronomically higher knowing what you're capable of. Do you have the talent that can backfill that? I don't think they do. That's going to be their weak point this year. Um, and they lost beyond that even more up front on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so who's going to be that edge rusher to replace them? Uh, and further, if who else in the Big Ten, and I feel there's a couple of teams uh, that could do it, can beat them in a, in a close game without Michigan getting pressure on the quarterback? Uh, you know, uh, so, uh, and I think about, like, even Michigan State, with, with as talented as our wide receivers are, I feel like you give Peyton Thorne enough time, they'll be able to, uh, to accomplish that mission. Uh, Sean Clifford, same thing at, at Penn State. Uh, and and hell, even well, obviously Ohio State, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think this is this is you've seen the the pinnacle of the talent that that uh, he's he's gotten, and uh, I'm not sure that he's recruited uh, at the level enough uh, and lost enough guys on the coaching staff that were so in, uh, critical in the development of those players uh, that uh, that you've seen the the ceiling. I'll, I'll make a bold statement here. I'm going to okay. say that Jim Harbaugh will never beat Ohio State again, and he'll leave Michigan before he gets a chance to. See, the thing is, I don't think that's that bold. I mean, before yeah. last year, we, before last year, and even after last year, we talked about Jim Harbaugh going to the NFL. You know, that's but always th- going to be a yeah. conversation. And one of the years, years that's going to happen, I think Michigan is more Wisconsin than it is Ohio State. Totally. In, terms, in, in the, terms of recruiting, like you're not going to get another Aiden Hutchinson whose dad was the all time, you know, single season sack leader at Michigan, who also ends up being the second overall pick. And David Ajabo, mm-hmm. who pre Achilles tear during the pre Jeff process, was also going to be a top 15 pick. And in addition to that, they also lose Brad Hawkins and Dax Hill and Vincent Gray, three guys starting in their back end. And, and, and basically half, if not, you know, 60% of their secondary is already gone. And Mike McDonald, who is the defensive coordinator and the defensive play caller, is gone to the NFL to be the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. You know, and we just sat here and talked about Ohio State and how amazing it was that, you know, you lose Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, but you have Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison Jr. sitting behind it. And those two were top 15, top 17 picks. Well, Hutchinson and Ojabo were going to be the same way, and there's nobody there waiting in the wings to fill their yeah. step. And that's the difference between a Jim Harbaugh and Michigan and what Ohio State has become. I mean, to me, this all comes down to, again, the expectations. And the fact they beat Ohio State last year, great, good for you. I don't think it's happening again. And if that's your expectation, now you think you're in a fight with them. Uh, you know, I, I think you're going to be sorely mistaken come come late yeah. uh, November. Now, I will say on the positive side, I think J.J. McCarthy has a very good chance of becoming the full-time starter. Um, better. And his athletic ability, I think he's a better – I think he's got more arm talent than Cade McNamara. Um, I think if there's a hope here for Michigan – you know, they lost two starters from the offensive line, but they also brought in um, – I have a hard hard time pronouncing this last name. Um, but they brought in a, a kid from Virginia, uh, Oluwataimi, I believe is how it's pronounced. Apologies if I screwed that up. Um, but who was a almost borderline All-American at UVA last year uh, and is now going to be one of the starting guys. They get Ronnie Bell back, who got so hurt center, early. Right? Um, 
Correct. Uh, and uh, they're getting Ronnie Bell back, who, who going into last year was a potential first, second round pick at wide receiver. So they are getting piece, some pieces back. But what made Michigan, uh, Michigan so good last year was that defensive line. And they just don't have it. And the offensive line, which, again, won the award for the best offensive line in college football. They lose two pieces. They bring in another potential All-American. So hopefully the offensive line's good. They still have uh, um, the two running backs there, who uh, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards, which keeps them deep, and they'll be able to run similar stuff offensively. But how long are you going to be able to do that? And, you know, if, if, if they're bringing a knife to a gunfight, going up against Ohio state at the horseshoe this year. Good luck. Good luck. I don't know. Um, Scotty, what's the win total projection at here for Michigan? Well, it's, uh, it's higher than you might think. I mean, look, they're not going to be, uh, we're not going to be talking about them at all because their three non-con games are Colorado state, Hawaii, and Yukon. The first time we pay attention to them is September 24th against Maryland. I mean, those games are going to be blowouts uh, up until then. So uh, I've got their, uh, they're over under win total at nine and a half. And you can get that at minus minus one ten for both the over and the under. Nine and a line. half. Yeah, I'm taking line. the under. I think nine wins is about right. Cause I still think enough experience has come back. Um, but I think they're going to lose some tough games. So I, I think I'm going to take the under on that as well. I'm going to take the over. Um, but I think it's right there. I think it's in between nine and 10. It, it's just depends on if they fumble and mess up a game, but I think they'll lose to Ohio state. They could lose to Penn state or one other team. And then I think, you know, if they have a good season, they could get to 10. I hope they have nine and lower, but for some reason, my guts tell me go to 10. I mean, they, they do have a very easy schedule. Yeah. They're the um, favorite in 11 out of 12 games uh, until, but I also I I think a lot of the favorites, at least right now, are based off of past production. Like I, I I'm not yeah. gonna know until probably week five when they're at Iowa what this team really is. October first at Iowa, that's gonna be the first real and it test. Could, yeah, it will be because by that time they'll probably both be in the top fifteen. If that's a night game at Kinnick, forget it. I mean, it's, what, it, but in their defense too, they have the two hard division games they have are both at home, not including Ohio state are both at home against Penn state and Michigan state. I think they probably split those, um, which would put them right on the cusp of potentially 10, um, 10 wins. And, and I just, I don't, I just don't believe in it. Um, but Hey, who knows? Right. I mean, if they are, if they're able to pull off what they did last year, um, and if it wasn't for that Michigan State, you know, you know, blown lead in the second half last year where Kenneth Walker explodes for what, like five touchdowns or whatever he yeah. had in that game. Yeah. Um, Even the Penn State game. I mean, we were right in it. And then Eric all had a 90 yard touchdown on a drag route. Yeah. And the game. But let's let's take this as an opportunity now, because I just mentioned Michigan State and Michigan State's coming off their best win or the best season in a while. Eleven and two overall. Um, seven and two in conference play. This Michigan State team has a hard act to follow after what happened last year. They have a tough out of conference game against at Washington, uh, which hey, you know, depending on what happens with the future of the Big Ten, maybe that becomes a conference game here in the next few years. Um, really, really interesting 
season here for Mel Tucker in year number two. Um, didn't he got necess- a big extension too in the monstrous off-season. extension? Uh, it was like a hundred and twelve million, something like that. It was like like double digit number. years, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was like one hundred and twelve or one hundred twenty million for like twelve million a year, so something crazy. Um, as a whole. I think there's reasons to be optimistic about Michigan state. Uh, I've always been a fan of Sparty um, just as an uh, objective, you know, college football fan that doesn't really have any stakes in it. Um, But how do you replace Kenneth Walker and how much do you guys attribute Michigan state success last year to a running back who was a top Heisman finalist? Uh, A lot, actually Uh, they're run blocking last year. Uh, was not that great, and still they were one of the top teams in explosive runs. They hit them all over the place. Uh, they lose Kenneth Walker the third. They lost uh, on their offensive line. They lost 2,600 snaps from their starters alone on the line, uh, and so that's huge, but I think Kenneth Walker uh, had a huge part of that uh, with with the way that he was able to exploit uh, holes and, and make things happen without the uh, the elite run blocking that you usually see out of a out of a Big Ten offensive line. I, yeah, I don't. I think that he had a lot to do with it. But I will say this: like, um, I, in one part of the season, he was my like Heisman favorite. But and I think I was talking about that a lot on the pod. But Peyton Thorne, the quarterback, he broke Kirk Cousins' passing touchdown record last year. He, he the record was twenty five. He hit twenty seven. I think he takes a step on that again. I think we're going to see a much more explosive pass offense here. Um, you had to run the ball with Kenneth Walker, and you want to anyway in college football. You want to have a balanced offense. It's how you upset teams like Michigan and you know keep them going. But like, I don't know how that's going to translate this year. Are they going to become one dimensional? You know, can the, Sky, to your point, new line, new running game. How does that fit in? You have the quarterback and the skill positions. I think we're going to see that side expand a little bit. And uh, we'll see if that fits the Michigan State dynamic, right? I don't know if it does or doesn't, but that to me is the question mark is how integral is that running game and how successful is it? Can it set up passing downs? I don't know, but I do know I, I believe in in the passing game out of Michigan State if they can have some balance and not just get ears pinned back defensive ends coming in at them all the damn time. I'm really excited to see Peyton Thorne without Kenneth Walker, with at least without the, the safety net of Kenneth Walker because – Peyton Thorne made some throws last year that were really impressive. And big he's a cool moves. dude to watch, man. He's a cool dude to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's athletic. He can move a little bit. They also brought in two transfer running backs, Jalen Berger from Wisconsin and Jarek uh, Broussard from Colorado. So it's going to be more of a split backfield unless one of them explodes. Like I mean, granted this time last year, we said the same thing about Kenneth Walker, not knowing who Kenneth Walker was. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited because, you know, Jaden Reed and, and Peyton Thorne, you know, Peyton Thorne threw 27 touchdown passes last year. It was really solid, just a good thrower. But also how much of that was because defenses were, were more worried about Kenneth Walker. So that's part of the thing we got to kind of adjust here. Um, they also brought in uh, a couple of guys on the secondary because to me the biggest hole in this team was that Swiss cheese, mm-hmm. you know, secondary. They finished 11th in the Big Ten in pass defense efficiency. I mean, Oof. 11th out of 12 teams, and that I mean that That's means wild. you know Maryland, Rutgers, Indiana, what? right? Did Northwestern. You hear it? Mel Tucker at uh, at 
the Big Ten media days was calling his defense dead ass last in the past. Yeah, uh, which it, is true when you look at the uh, when you're not looking at advanced numbers, right? Uh, there was no team that had more pass attempts or more completions uh, against them in all of the FBS than Michigan State. Their 400 or 4,222 passing yards allowed was the most that any FBS team has given up in the last five years. Yeah, I mean, they got torched in the secondary last year. But Kenneth Walker was so good, and they were always they always ended up seeming to be on the right side of the ball control side of things because of Kenneth Walker and big, you know, big, big drives at the end of games that you kind of it kind of worked out in their favor, right? Like there's we talk about like fumble luck all the time in football, right? Like, oh, you get bounces here and there. But there's also just sometimes situational luck where it's like just a couple of things kind of break your way. And I think Michigan State was the benefactor of that for a lot of things. Um, the, the most impressive win they had all, all year last year was the, the comeback against Michigan uh, Halloween weekend. Uh, and they're just going to have to be more well-rounded, right? Because uh, you don't know when that luck, whether it's injury luck, whether it's you know possessional luck, all that stuff that kind of works in your favor, they have to be more well-rounded. The good news for them is defensively, um, they added uh, a cornerback from floor, uh, from Georgia, Amir Speed, which great name for a cornerback. Uh, they also have uh, a, one of their senior ends, Jeff Petrowski, um, as well as a transfer from Florida, Chris Bogle. So they have two seemingly high-end edge rushers. And the biggest, the best part of that defense last year was Cal Halliday, the middle linebacker who wore, wears no gloves, had the, I think he had a pick six in the bowl game, or and one of the, he had a big pick six at some point at the end of the season, um, and so there's a lot of returning guys on that defense as well as adding in a higher quality uh, secondary player. Look, you know, Mel Tucker got his his you know cut his teeth in defense. He's not going to allow them to have the 11th ranked pass defense in the Big Ten two years in a row. So I'm I'm more optimistic, um, but I also I don't think. I think it's a the two through four in the Big Ten East, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State could finish in any order, and I don't think any of it would surprise me. Um, so over under and in, in win totals, where do you have? Where's Michigan State at right now, Scotty? They are, and check the schedule out. I mean, they've got to play Ohio State and Wisconsin back to back, both at home, but they go on the road uh, against Michigan. That's off of Michigan's bye, and then uh, they play at Penn State to end the season. That's the tough sled. Uh, they're over under right now is sitting at seven and a half wins. Ooh. And I am taking the under because I don't see it. Um, I don't see the, filling their offense the way they did last year, which I, again, I think was in large part due to Kenneth Walker. And, and I don't know. I don't think that they upgraded their defense enough uh, to get wins on uh, on the schedule i just listed but you Vito, this is a tough line i'm gonna go with uh i'm gonna go with over again over city on all these prop bets i feel like for everything we've talked about football i'm just so excited but i think everyone's eight. over everything's <laughs> over each other man. somehow somehow every team is gonna be like over 500 which mathematically will not work but like i don't know I I like I love the over. I, I I love the over. Um seven and a half. I mean, West, I mean, the only real test out of conference is Washington. 
um, which Washington has a lot of questions. Yes, they have to play at Washington, but that's a winnable game for, for Michigan State, who, despite losing Kenneth Walker, is the more experienced team by far. Um, I mean, and then you look at it, too. It's like they're home against Minnesota. That should be a win. At Maryland, that should be a win. Um, Ohio State and Wisconsin, both at home. They definitely more than likely will lose against Ohio State. But Wisconsin's a winnable game at home. Uh, at wow. At Michigan, probably not, but you never know in that rivalry. Anything can happen. Illinois, And then to close out the year, it's Illinois, Rutgers, Indiana. And two of those three are at home, and you got to go to Champaign to play Illinois. I count at least eight wins there. Um, I like like the over. I'm going to take Michigan State to take the over. Uh, All right. Enough times passed. I'm going to set a time limit on both of you. On us? We didn't yeah. send one on you for Ohio State. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> because they're the only team worth talking about. Um, <laughs> uh, that's what you say. Did you talk about Michigan last year, Jeff? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the Penn State Nittany Lions. All right. Let's, time. And, and I will open up the floor, and uh, I'll let you guys go ahead. Uh, me? For, okay, sure. Why not? Where to start? I mean – the last two years have been woefully disappointing. Uh, you talk about the offense, uh, look at running back, unexpected injuries. You had the the Journey Brown medical retirement. Uh, you had uh, Ricky Slade and other recruits that that underachieved. And it's a lot easier for a defense to play against you and and Sean Clifford when uh, when you know they're one dimensional uh, on offense. Penn State was 127th in the nation. Uh, last year in rush uh, EPA, that's expected points uh, uh, based on their uh, how good that they, their players are. Uh, and there's no reason a, po- a program like Penn State, who recruits that well at the running back position, to be that bad. Uh, Nick Singleton, uh, who's a five-star recruit coming in, needs to be the answer here. Uh, and, and I think he's the best back that we've seen talent-wise since Miles Sanders uh, and, and Saquon Barkley in those days. For the wide receivers, it's going to be tough to replace Jahan, obviously. Uh, but, uh, you know, Mitchell Tinsley, we got him as a, as a graduate transfer from uh, from Western Kentucky, one of the highly touted uh, graduate transfers. Parker Washington, who we expected last year to have a breakout year, did. An mm-hmm. uh, 800-yard receiver. I think he's going to play a big part in the offense. And you've got Keandre Lambert-Smith as well, uh, who's my pick this year to be the breakout wide receiver in that core. Cam Sullivan-Brown, too. Bretton Strange back at tight end. The point is it's going to take a – unit uh in the passing game uh more than the the individual that it's been over the last couple of years Deshaun Hamilton Jahan Dotson Allen Robinson those kind of guys um at quarterback Sean Clifford he's my Jimmy G man like the eye test makes you want to think that he's not Are a great you in quarterback on Clifford I, now Are you in on Sean Clifford now but he's look statistically before he got injured last year did you know this by the way before he was injured last year he was Top 10 in the nation in QBR. Yeah, we didn't play great teams before that, though. But I also, I also was the one I mean, telling you that he was good last year think, when you I think a lot of you sucked. I think a lot yeah. of the the rap he gets uh, is because, you know, <laughs> we you see gave the, him. Yes, yeah, yeah, me, too. <laughs> me too. But like he's had multiple games or he's had six games where he's had multiple interceptions in his three years as a starter. Uh, all six games were losses. Four out of the six were one possession games. 
So that alone is enough for a frustrated Penn State fan to be like, enough already, right? So he's my Jimmy G, but I think he's with enough uh, enough of an emphasis on uh, being able to get back to running the ball the way Penn State's usual uh, used to running the ball would be helpful. Defense is my main concern. Uh, we lost Brett Pry at defensive coordinator, a longtime defensive coordinator. Uh, we got slammed in the draft with five defensive uh, players drafted, Mkidi, Jaquan Brisker, uh, Tariq Castro-Fields, uh, Jesse Lucchetta, uh I'm missing one somewhere. Um, and I think they'll be okay on the back end, though, despite losing Brisker. They've got, uh, uh, they've got a ton of top talent. Jair Brown, who was the, led the team in interceptions last year, was six. They've got Keaton Ellis, uh, Jonathan Sutherland, who plays some of the, the hybrid safety uh, wide back uh, li- uh, linebacker. Um, the pass rush is going to hurt without Arnold and McKeady. Um, but they've got I, uh, one of my breakout candidates in Nick Tarburton, uh, too. I, I, look, there's a lot to like about this, this Penn State team, the way they've recruited. If we can get back to running the ball, the offensive line is a little more physical. They'll be able to move the guys around uh, on the line a little bit more. And, and I think... Uh, I think the the pass rush is key. It, it's going to be key to get guys like Nick Tarburton uh, involved with his experience. And then we got a, a graduate, or a, not a graduate transfer, but a transfer from Maryland, uh, Chop. Uh, what's his name? Chop Robinson? That's his name, uh, which is an excellent name for a defensive end. Uh, if he can go get the the quarterback uh, and emerge, I think Penn State has a shot at uh, at that two spot in the uh, in the Big Ten East. I don't have as rosy glasses as Scott. But um, here's, here's what I'm looking at for this season. I, I'm still the, of the opinion that, yeah, a healthy um, – listen, I don't even want to say this, but, like, do I believe in Sean Clifford? For some reason, I'm wanting to say yes, but, I, like, I know how I felt at the end of last year, and I know he had injuries going on, but he, he's not going to be – He's not going to – I don't think he's going to take a step up. I think we know who he is. Hopefully he can make do, some stride. Do you want to see Drew Alar? Is that why you're saying that? You'd no. rather see the freshman out there getting his reps than uh, than Cliffy? I mean, I think what I'm more interested in is seeing um, – uh, not Drew Alar, Christian uh, – I don't know how to say his uh, last Vilya. name. Thank you. Phil, you yeah. he's got the EAUX thing. But, um, yeah, he he – now he's, you know – the second string guy, it seems like his redshirt freshman um, in camp. He was taking the number two reps behind sixth year senior Sean Clifford, which I'm just like, at this point, man, I, I love having a dependable person, but I just don't know if he's there now with the running back group. I'm still a huge believer in Cavante Lee. Um, uh, he, he was out right now uh, with some, it was funny. Apparently the report was like, he missed prep, like he missed the beginning of camp and everyone's like, what's going on. And like, he had a class conflict and I was like, okay, you could have led with that. <laughs> Uh, but, um, because Penn State doesn't say anything about injuries. So it was like really worrisome at first, but Devin Ford's back there. You mentioned Parker Washington at receiver. Yes. We have to replace Jahan Dotson. Theo Johnson, even being back is great at tight end. Um, yeah. we got some big boys there, some high recruits from a couple years ago, but on the defensive side, the player I'm most excited for, and I think the guy who had the biggest impact is going to be PJ Mustafer. Um, you know, he, he's actually was out there the whole time whenever the Dean line was going through drills. And we missed him very, very much on a lot of those runs last year. Um, now we did get some, like you said, some transfers, uh, a couple of young guys There's a young defensive end out of Philly. Um, there are a couple of guys who I think as long as one of them has the breakout year on the pass rush side, will be in a decent spot. 
But we did. We lost a lot on the defensive side. And I think offensively, we we were explosive, but we weren't consistent. There were a lot of times last year where, like, you're just begging to run a play that would get us three or four yards and keep a drive going. We just didn't have that. So what does that look like? And on defense, no matter what happened over the last couple of years, we have Brent Pry now as the head coach at Virginia Tech. Um, listen, he was great for a long time. Uh, he was a guy that uh, Franklin brought from Vanderbilt. And so, you know, he's been around that forever. I'm excited to see what happens. I'm, ex- I'm, I'm anxious to hear what the over-under is for wins here, but I'm not expecting a giant leap forward. I'm expecting us to correct mistakes. Look, I, uh, I almost don't want to add anything, you know? I mean, like, look, I love you boys and I would love to see Penn State have a great year. I clip it, snip it, snip that, save that. I've said that before. I have a hard time figuring out how they stack up against Michigan and Michigan state. And the same goes for the other two programs. To me, all three of them have major questions. All three of them lost a lot along the defensive line. All three of them have changes. Now I'll say this, which of the three quarterbacks do you like the best, right? JJ McCarthy or slash Cade McNamara, Peyton Thorne or Sean Clifford. I like Sean Clifford the best yeah, of, me the too. Cha- <laughs> of the changes and coaching staffs. Who do I think is the best defensive coordinator of that group? I think it's Manny Diaz. I think Bingo. the addition of Manny Diaz is huge. Um, however, I have a lot of questions about this offense. I think the offensive line can be good. Uh, we saw we saw how they stacked up against an SEC defensive line last year, and even though Penn State won that game, the defensive line or the offensive line for Penn State struggled a little bit. Uh, I expect them to be better. I think that's going to be one of the stronger suits, but. As good as Parker Washington showed himself to be, he's not Jahan Dotson, who was just a first-round draft pick. Um, that's that's what I said. Is it's going to take a unit of those wide receivers more than the one sure, guy that's sure. been the guy for sure. But, it's more of a KJ. But who else is there? You know, I think how, it's going to be how, tight how and deep, heavy. How deep is that room right now? What's well, young? To your point, it's deep, you but got, it's young. Yeah. Well, and I think this is an important thing. I just watched the man in the arena with Tom Brady fucking incredible series by the way but they were talking about in the Patriots 2.0 you know 2010s and on how they really went to that two tight end set when they had um, Rob Gronkowski and a murderer lineup on the line and they uh they like would focus on that right and move them around and I think we have a couple dynamic tight ends that I would like to see this offense feature a little more now one was injured last year so I'm really hoping with Theo Johnson back we're going to see a couple guys and and really forced to run the ball and run a lot of play action out of that What I want to avoid is going to your point, Jeff, running it right up the middle against teams. And then on third down, it's been like, we got to pass. Like we were doing obvious situations a lot. The third and six, third and five. Yeah. Ultimately, I look at Michigan, Michigan State and Penn State in all similar boats where they're all going to have to rely on very young talent. um, And they're going to have to hope that they're able to fill the gaps. And a lot of that's going to come down to coaching. So, which coaches do you trust the most? Do you trust Harbaugh to get the most out of young talent? Do you trust Mel Tucker to get the most out of young talent? Or do you trust Jim or uh, James Franklin? And Jimmy Franks. Yeah. And to me, that order goes Mel Tucker, James Franklin, Jim Harbaugh. And I have them finishing probably third in the division. Um, 
and probably at around eight wins. Yeah, we're, we're what's the over under, Scotty? Over under on Penn State wins uh, on a tough schedule. They got Auburn uh, in non-con, and then um, you know Michigan uh, off their bye, and then Ohio State two weeks later. Um, and then opening on the weird Thursday night game against Purdue, uh, their over under is set at eight. Call yeah, it. <laughs> I'm, I, we're right there. I'm, I, I think that's where I'm at too. I think eight wins. And I would be really happy. I got to say, I know, I know Penn State fans want to see a swing back. Listen, we're not, we, this isn't the team that we had before. There's a lot of shakeup. I think expectation wise, eight wins would be a good season. Let's get back on track. We have some elite recruits. We have three five stars for this 2023 class already. Let's just wait and see what happens. Let's try and get some shit in order. And, and hopefully, um, you know, this is the start of, again, an uptick, but the last couple of years cannot continue. So um, it, we've got to hit that eight wins, and I think that'd be a, a good season. Do you think, Scotty, that eight wins, you'd be happy? Yeah, I, I would be. Uh, the way they've played the last two years has, has been uh, high expectation and, and low output. Uh, just based on what they, they whether it's injuries that uh, have plagued them or, or uh, the development of some of the players we thought would be uh, better. Uh, and, and so that's why you find them at, uh, at with terrible records uh, over the last two years. Um, I think eight would be a, a market improvement. Um, I'm going to shoot the moon and go uh, with the over and go for nine. Um, and that's okay. Uh, but I'm not sitting here expecting uh, uh 10 11 uh, even 12 wins uh in the in the uh, especially in that division especially the way that Ohio State recruits um yeah. like you said Vito we're we've we've got guys in the pipeline that are elite elite talents one of the issues i've had is that over over the last few years is that we've gotten those talents we've been top 5 top 10 recruiting classes in the country and then we don't develop them properly right uh you're starting to see that increase a little more we had eight draft picks uh and a number of undrafted free agents who are probably going to make teams uh in after the 2021 season so uh keep the foot on the pedal there and, and develop the the elite talent that you're bringing in in the next few years nine wins huge for me last last question i'll say here and, and i'll ask you guys to try to keep it as condensed as possible eight and four you're in a bowl you have a good a, a good season to the standards of what you guys are talking about. However, understanding the landscape and where we are in college football, you have one of the top quarterback recruits in the country sitting on the bench. If you go eight and four, even with someone who's dedicated as much time to the program as Sean Clifford has, in an eight and four season, in my estimation, you have to get your top recruit, Drew Alar into the game. You have to have him start probably the last three games of the season. Yeah. Once you're out of the college football playoff, the big 10 contention, because otherwise, I don't know. He very well could walk. I'm terrified of that too, Jeff, Uh, both him Uh, and Villiers. I mean, we saw it with Will Levis. I'm terrified of that, that we're going to overcommit uh, and be too loyal to to Cliff and and Drew Lars going to be like you now know what Levis well, Levis Two was years. a little bit different because he knew yeah that he wasn't going to be the starter the next year these guys at least know um but I don't know I think there's something to be said about giving them legitimate playing time as freshmen yeah the only I'm thing I'll you. say is that 
they've got to earn it. And right now, if he's not even second on the depth chart, if he can get to second on the depth chart, I think that that it pulls the trigger. But if he can't make it there and it's still a huge battle, I don't see Franklin cycling through quarterbacks too often. Unfortunately, I wish they would. I, I agree that, that we should. As much of a cycle as much as it's just you pull the plug. And that would be right, a shitty it, thing. It'd be a shitty thing to do to Sean Clifford, but I don't know, man. I, it's just that it's a tough world that you live in now where mm-hmm. you have to keep the guys who are the future happy. And and to their defense, too, there's that goofy rule where if you play four games or less, you retain the extra year of eligibility. So it might be, all right, we're we're you know, seven in and you know, or not seven, we're six and three right now. You know, we got three games left in the season. Let's let let's start this kid. Let let's show him that we're committed to him as the future of the of the program here for the, at least for the next you know few years. But you know, we'll see. Um, all right, the last three teams here we're going to kind of lump to lump together because I think we're all in agreement that these are more than likely going to be the last three teams: Maryland, Rutgers, and Indiana. Um, we'll do a little like kill fuck Mary here. All right, I like it. I like it. Who overachieves out of that group? Which team is most likely to lose their head coach out of that group? And uh, which team do you just care the least about? Like, which team do you think going into the season you just go, there's no, there's just no shot? I got you. All right. The surprise, the surprise is going to be Maryland. Uh, okay. I think that's that's a team who's got an explosive enough offense they can mess around in uh, one of their division games against Michigan and pull something off. Michigan State pull something off, uh, especially that being a uh, a home game. Um, and I, I'm not in love with Talia Tungavailoa, but he's shown flashes, right? I think I think they can mess around and uh, and win a couple games. I think we said the same thing last year. I think their over under was at six. That gets you in a bowl game. I think they get to seven. Um, so that's that's going to be the surprise of the year for me as they take another step forward. Uh, coach who would be gone at the end of the year is going to be Tom Herman. Um, Tom Allen. Uh, Tom Allen, sorry. Uh, basketball on the brain. Uh, and well, Tom Herman's uh, football, but just wrong. Oh, right. That was the uh, the old Texas, the Texas coach. coach yeah. Uh, uh, Tom Allen at Indiana. Uh, I think especially after you have that breakthrough that you did two years ago, Um for them to be searching for wins. I'm looking at their schedule and it's like, where, where do you find the wins on that? Um, I, I think the leash is, is going to be short unless they can pull off uh, something, uh, a massive love, everyone uh, love everybody or whatever the, the slogan was. Um, everybody love everybody. Season. Yeah. And then the, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. The coach, I don't care about uh, losing his job. What was, what were the three? The last one's just the team that you just disregard. The team you just oh, don't disregard. care about. Yeah. Rutgers. Yeah, I mean, I don't care what Rutgers. I, I think Maryland's going to do. I'm on the same boat as Scotty here. Um, I just think that when you look at the Big Ten, these are kind of there's a really competitive top four in this conference and a, and a not competitive bottom three. It's just the way it's fallen the last couple of years, and I think it's going to continue. What do you think, Jeff? I'm excited about Rutgers. Rutgers is the team I think is going to overachieve. Um, and it's tough because I also think that Mike Loxley's going to, and, and that team's going to do pretty well. But the thing with Maryland is just, I think it's more of the same. I think we see that team run the same roster for the most part. And Talia, again, I watched Talia play Penn state in person and there are, there are flashes of him, 
but that roster doesn't have a whole lot. He's someone who I think would have been suited to transfer and go somewhere else. I think he would have, would have been better for him. Um, but look, I mean, in his first two years at Rutgers, he's won five big 10 games. Greg Schiano has in the six years before he went there from 2014 to 2019, they won five or seven. Sorry. So he's won almost as many games in two years in big 10 play as Rutgers had won in the six years combined leading up to it. Um, it's Rutgers. I get it, but I like the Shiano man. I like Rutgers as a whole. Um, and I think I'm with you there, Scotty. I think Tom Allen, um, for as much as we love that team with Michael Penix a couple of years ago that overachieved, um, they're in a tough spot. I didn't, I didn't they're, they're, in, they're in a really, I know you didn't love it. They're in a, <laughs> they're in a really, really tough spot right now. And there's always something about the coach that captures the heart of America. And this will preview the West a little bit too, with guys like PJ Fleck. There are these coaches in college football who everyone loves with and has their spot in, you know, their, their moment in the, in the spotlight. And then they never really follow up with it. And I think, as much as I like Tom Allen, um, I think he might be another one of those guys. So we'll see. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick wake break. But before we get to that and we get to the West, Scotty, you have an ad read for us. That's right, Jeff. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Alliance Accounting. Tax season is just like football season. It never really stops. And if you think it's hot out now in the summertime while we're waiting for football season to come back, imagine the hot water you'll be in if you miss the October filing extension deadline. And whether you're a small to mid-sized business or an individual playing one-on-one with your income taxes, the trusted team at Alliance Accounting is here with reliable accounting solutions to get you across the goal line without missing any deadlines. I use Alliance myself. They're phenomenal. They've got a fantastic small team over there that is always available to help you. And one of the things I love most about Alliance Accounting is the deep roster they provide for both individuals and businesses. Alliance will accurately file your federal and state taxes for you, saving you time and money. And who doesn't love that? They will review your return thoroughly to check for available deductions and credits to make sure you score the maximum refund you deserve. And they'll help you plan for your team's future with their detailed and personal analysis of your taxes and provide you solutions tailored to your needs. And it doesn't stop there. Alliance Accounting's roster will help you get through overtime with their thorough and trusted bookkeeping and business finance services. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the game knowing that Alliance Accounting has got you covered for all of your tax needs. Visit their website at allianceaccounting.com. That's alliance, A-C-T-T-N-G.com. Or find them on Instagram at alliance underscore accounting. Alliance Accounting with you every step of the way. Shout out to Alliance Accounting, our friend Omar. Phenomenal product, phenomenal people. We love them, our friends over there at Alliance Accounting. Quick break. We'll be right back tackling the Big Ten West on the other side. All right, the Big Ten West, uh, definitely not as exciting as the Big Ten East, which is why we're going to spend more time on the East in general. But we will start with the team I think we all agree here is going to be the favorite going into 2022, the Wisconsin Badgers. Um, I think they have a a slight advantage over everyone else. I think a lot of people think it's a clear cut, and that's mainly because of the consistency, right? It's Paul Chris, it's Jim Leonard, it's the same group, and it's – kind of their time in the cycle like i was talking about before um however how far do both of you guys see the gap between wisconsin and purdue and iowa who i think most people would say would be the next two teams underneath 
I think it's a couple games, man. I think it's like a three wins different. I think it's going to be a bigger gap than we've seen in previous years. Usually I was right there. Um, Purdue is definitely, man, I, I just love that Purdue is becoming a more relevant program. You know, like that's just really exciting. I think for big 10, it's excuse me in general. Cause the last time we've heard about them, like you remember Drew Brees played at Purdue. And you're like, no, I don't like that's, you know the what I mean? The quarterbacks. <laughs> it's I'm just glad to see that we'll, we'll have some other names that we can relate to, to that program after the next couple of years. But I think Wisconsin and that gap is like two to three wins at least between those two, um, but between Purdue, Iowa to Wisconsin will be two to three wins by the end of the year. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, th- I think we touched on it earlier. Their defense is better. Uh, they've given me no reason. In, in th- and that's the top heavy of the two divisions, really. Uh, and Wisconsin's right at the forefront of it. The only drawback is they do have a tough game early in the season at the shoe in, uh, in Ohio State. Uh, other than that, their, their schedule you know, is pretty favorable. Of course, they play Purdue and Iowa who we'll talk about in a few minutes here and with Minnesota as well in the, in the division. But other than that, I don't see anything uh, to me that that would indicate that they're not primed to win that division. The biggest thing for me with uh, Wisconsin. Oh, Alexa decided to chime chime in there. Um, The biggest thing with uh, Wisconsin for me is just that the three toughest tests for them this year, uh, all come on the road, at least in conference, right? They're playing at Ohio State, at Michigan State, and uh, they also have one more at Iowa. At Iowa, yeah. So they're out of conference. They have a game at home against Washington State. That shouldn't be much of a concern. Um, I, I do think they're the clear-cut favorite, but I also think this could be one of those years where the winner of the Big Ten West ends up having like nine wins. Um, they only return eight starters combined between offense and defense, so – there's question marks. They do bring Graham Mertz back, but Graham, Mer- Graham Mertz went eight touchdowns to six interceptions in Big Ten play last year, which is not – you don't love that. Um, they do have a budding superstar running back, Braylon Allen, which is helpful. Um, I do think they're the favorite, but I don't think it's as clear-cut as maybe other people are thinking other than just trusting Jim Leonard to get that defense uh, to where we think it can be. What is their uh, over-under win total at, Scott? Do you have out in front of you? Oh, Scotty's on mute. I do. It's at nine. Yeah. Nine. Um, I think that's pretty right dead on. That's yeah. Um, exactly. But I do, but you know what? I think they probably went to, I'll take the over there. I think they get to 10 wins. Um, Me too. And I think Graham Mertz has a, as a step forward. Um, all right. Well then that leaves us here with uh, Scotty. Scotty, where did you have them at? You have the, uh, over I'm taking, there? I'm taking the under actually. I think they're going to, they're going to biff one of these, two of these uh, three games. Uh, on the road at Ohio State, at uh, Iowa, and at Michigan State. Well, that means that Scotty has m- more than likely another team other than Wisconsin winning the Big Ten West. So is it one of these three teams? And we'll do a, a little, you know, fuck, Mary kill again with these teams. Purdue, Iowa, and Minnesota, who I think are all kind of in that same boat. Which of those teams do you think Scotty is going to end up winning the Big Ten West then? It is Purdue, the mm. Boilermakers. Give us make the case. Uh, I'm I'm just enamored with uh, with the upstart play that they've had. They they've got their uh, their jeez. Uh, I got to pull up their depth chart. Their quarterbacks come back. I I just love Aiden what they O'Connell. did last year. Yeah. Aiden O'Connell. Thank you. Uh, love what they did last year. They've been producing a ton of great wide receivers. Uh, the only downside is 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 their defense going to be uh, able to compete against 
uh, the tough lines uh, of of Iowa and uh, and Wisconsin, respectively. Um, but I love them, man. It, it, go run and gun a little bit in the Big Ten West. We need it. It'll be interesting. I mean, I think Aiden O'Connell's the best quarterback in the Big Ten West. Um, so right off the bat there, they have the ability to attack through the air. They lose David Bell, which hurts. Um, and they also had another wide receiver, Milton Wright, who was good for them last year, who was ruled academically ineligible, which is not a great sign for your quarterback. They do bring in two uh, transfers from Iowa, a little in-conference, in-division uh, you know, transfer there, um, which will be on the outside. And they do have a new um, signal caller on the defensive side, Ron English. Um, anytime you're changing the defensive coordinator, it's going to be tough. Um, I, I think there's too many moving parts, despite the fact that I do, you know, if you put Aiden O'Connell on Wisconsin, I think Wisconsin's the clear favorite, but I like Purdue. I like Purdue nine and four last year. I think they grow on that, but replacing David Bell is going to be really tough for them as well. What's their over under? Uh, it's set at seven and a half right now. I am hammering that over. This is a week. I mean, first they open with Penn state. Like I said, on that, that, uh, Thursday night game, the weird Thursday night, but then their their East draws are Maryland and, and Indiana. Uh, they don't have a t- particularly tough road game, say for Minnesota, but even that's at the beginning of October. It won't be that cold. And at Wisconsin is going to be the biggest game uh, in late October. Otherwise, I don't see a, a spot where it's it's going to be terribly difficult. You're right. There's not a tough uh, a ton there at Syracuse. Um, is the only game where I could see that getting a little weird. Even though I do think Purdue's the better team. Um, something happens and you go and play in the, uh, the Syracuse dome out there in, uh, in New York, but, uh, I'll take, I'll take the over. that over. Yeah. yeah I'll take I'm, the over, but I think it's eight. I think it's right there. Yeah. I think them and, and Wisconsin will be kind of competing there back and forth to see who ends up pulling out the, uh, the win there. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's go down to last year's big 10 West champion, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, a lot of things changing for the Hawkeyes, uh, a defense. And, and look, Iowa last year when they were ranked as high as what fourth in the country, I think it was at one point. Um, I don't think they were ever actually as good as fourth in the country. Um, or was, oh, you're right. They did get up to, they get up two, to two. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, the, d- defensively, they were amazing. Um, but they lost Tyler God, uh, Goodson. Uh, who is their starting running back. They also lost Tyler Linderbaum, who despite playing center was the best cor- uh, offensive player on that roster. Um, I forget, is the uh, the quarterback, um, Petrus, is he coming back this year or did he leave? I'm, oh, I'm trying to look at, I'm, I'm pulling up the roster. I think he's, yeah. I think he left. I think they have a new quarterback in there. Um, uh, no, that's right. So yeah, so um, they, they brought in Alex Padilla. So it's going to be a, mm-hmm. a he's, it's going to be a QB battle. My guess is Petrus uh, Petrus probably wins that. Um, but, you know, look, I was one of those programs, man. They win when no one expects them to win. Um, they hang around and they just kind of quietly sneak around. What's their win total at right now, Scotty? Uh, let me pull it up right quick. Their win total is at seven and a half, just like Purdue. Same deal. I'm going to go under for them. Um, yeah, I probably will too. Um, just cause Spencer, Spencer Petrus is not a good quarterback. He's just not. I, yeah. Uh, and maybe but, I just want disparity or expect it to your point, how these teams always rotate. But for me, that's, I, I can't, I can't well, say over. And that's why to me, like Purdue, Iowa, and the next team, Minnesota are all kind of in that same world, just because I feel like there has to be some sort of, you know, 
increase here for PJ Fleck and, and Minnesota to kind of jump into that conversation. And there's usually a team in the West who, whether it's been Northwestern or even Minnesota in years past, who makes, makes that jump um, when everything kind of seems, you know, dormant. Um, Kirk Ferentz, however, is the king of consistency and has been for 25 years as a head coach at Iowa. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Let's talk about the Golden Gophers. Um, is this make or break year for PJ Fleck? Is he on the chopping block? Is his seat a little warm? His boat is rowing. It's a little warm, but I think even if he has a bad year, it'll start the discussion. But like we always say, who's up behind him? I think they got a great coach for that program. And I I think he'll be there at least like, even if he has a bad year, he'll get one more year, but it's getting warm in terms of they want to see some results. You know, he was a slam dunk hire when they got him and everyone, you know, expected him to light up the world. There were better programs I think that offered him. So it's really interesting to see what will happen with him after this year, but I don't know what, what is their total at or what do you think, Jeff? Well, and remember too. So they started off hot in week zero and then Muhammad Ibrahim towards Achilles in, in week. I think it was week zero. It was the first game of the year for them. Um, Tanner Morgan had a big step back last year after they changed offensive coordinators. Thanks to, uh, I think you guys took their offensive coordinator, didn't you? Penn state forget where he mm-hmm. went, but um, year number two for Kirk Siraka, um, who's the offensive coordinator there. Uh, and the numbers did improve from 2020 to 2021. And Tanner Morgan, who has seemingly been there forever, similar to uh, Sean Clifford. In, in 2019, Tanner Morgan threw for 3,200 yards and 30 touchdowns. So um, I think Minnesota is a bit of a dark horse. Um, yes, they lost some players, uh, Boya Mafi. Um, as well as some others uh, on that defense. And they also lost that massive offensive lineman whose name is escaping me right now. Um, but I like I like Minnesota. In fact, I think there's a good chance Minnesota finishes second and might even compete for the uh, the Big Ten West here. So uh, what is the over oh, – I'm going to say seven and a half is my guess, but I'm curious. That's right. Uh, death half. taxes and the Big Ten West being at seven and a half on the over-under. Give me the over. Uh, I, I'm with – I'm with you, Jeff. I'm on the over two. They got two graduate transfers on the offensive line uh, who are going to be brutes. Uh, they still got, uh, they got a transferred wide receiver, Dylan Wright, who's going to play the X. He came from Texas A&M. Uh, so he knows how to run and gun. I, I like this. I, I love the over. I think they're second in the, in the conference in the division rather. Wow. I, I'll take the over, but um, I think it's eight. I think we're close. I, I think eight, I, I just think eight and four from Minnesota seems like a pretty solid year. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I think that seems like sure. what's expected of them this year. I think that'd be a good season. Yeah. And yeah. and I think I think I feel like that's the expectation. I feel like it can be even higher. I don't know. Like I feel like nine or ten wins isn't crazy for Minnesota. Um, and I like I like PJ Fleck with his weird little tie and sweater vest on on the sidelines. Um All right, so the last three teams in the Big Ten West, I know it seems like we're rushing through it, but like if we're just being honest, like the Big Ten West is impossible to predict, and we can go through all the players and all the transfers and everything. We're really not going to know until like week one, you know, and and I'm probably even more realistic like week three or week (laughs) four. Um, And then even still, like with Iowa last year, they get as high as number two, and then they end up losing a bowl game to Kentucky. So which yeah, Kentucky the Big Ten East just dominates even after you get to the championship. 100%. So, um, so let's talk about Nebraska. Uh, Adrian Martinez is gone. Scott Frost is 15 and 29 uh, as the head coach in, uh, in, in Lincoln. What is What saves his job? Because they went three and nine last year, but it was also the – 
it was the weirdest three and nine season of all time because that team easily could have been 500 or better too. Yeah. That's what's concerning me is I know he's a legend of that program, right? He's no quarterback from Nebraska gone back coaching. He hasn't had the success that's expected. He hasn't even been consistently getting better. Right. It's not like this, like the talents, I, in my opinion, there in Nebraska has always been one of these programs that have had a bunch of walk-ons, a bunch of three-star guys that they develop and turn into a good program. That's, that's Nebraska. And they do get some good recruits. Don't get me wrong. Some talent out there with football, but you know, these guys don't hit camps, so they don't get make, don't get to five stars or whatever, but it, they're still good players out there. And they, they just got to dominate their own state, a couple of places around, get talent in which they have. And now you got to train the talent and, and you put it out in the field. And if he doesn't do it this year, if he doesn't get to 500, I think this is a make or break year for him where, and, and I don't know the loyalty of that fan base to him. Right. Cause you can buy years off of just being a fan favorite. Yeah. I think we've seen Harbaugh do that before he, you know, this year, but <laughs> I really do believe that this is kind of the year to make it or break it. I think 500 is a goal. And if they can't hit that, I, I don't think he should be a, a coach at Nebraska. I'm with you. It's, it has to be a winning season and it has to be a winning season in the big 10. Uh, in conference play. Like they've got 10 transfers to your point, Vito. They like to build from within. This is the most transfers I've ever seen in a Nebraska program uh, going there. Uh, and it's about evenly split three on offense, uh, two on defense, and then a bunch in, in special teams, including their kicker and, uh, and punter. Um, but I, look, this is it, right? And this is, this is the trepidation you have when you hire a legendary head coach uh, who is a player in, in, at your school as well. Uh, and, and so now the the line in the sand uh, needs to be drawn. It can't just be Scott Frost. You have a job here for as long as you want because you're the most legendary Cornhusker quarterback there ever was. No, you need to be yep. a winning program at, mm-hmm. at Nebraska. And uh, and I think getting over 500 elongates it this year. Agreed. And, and I really like I agree with all that, but I also really like what they uh, bring in Casey Thompson because just having a mobile running quarterback who can also throw it a little bit. Um, that makes things easier for play callers and Mark Whipple coming in as the new offense coordinator, I think helps this team a lot as well. So uh, I don't know what the over under is. I'm guessing it's probably five and a half, six and a half, but I'm going to take the over. It is, uh, you guessed it, seven and a half. <laughs> All right. I was, wow. I was a little low on it, but yeah, you know what? Screw it. I'm on the over. Let's go. Let's go. Wow. I'll take the yeah. under at seven yeah. or six, but same. Good for you, Jeff. <laughs> they like just it. they won. They were they lost so many close games last year. It's impossible for me to believe that they're not going to be able to bounce back from that. That 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 was the best three and nine team I've ever seen in the history of football. <laughs> um, and that leaves right. us that leaves us with two teams who have had two very different uh, recent track records in the Big Ten. Uh, Illinois, who has not been good um, in a very very long time. Um, bring in Tommy DeVito from Syracuse. They brought in some other guys and uh, Satowski as well. Um, year number two and Brett Bielema. Hopefully he doesn't berate his team like he did last year. Uh, and then Northwestern, who has, believe it or not, won two out of the last four or two out of the last five Big Ten West titles since 2018, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty crazy to think about. This, I guess, will be the fifth. So, yeah. Um, and Northwestern's a little bit like your San Francisco Giants there, Scotty, where – they went. They won the Big Ten West. Then went three and nine. Then they won the Big Ten West, and then went three and nine. So, um, who who ends up having a bigger bounce back year here this year, Northwestern or Illinois? I think in terms of wins, Illinois will have more wins. But I think um, Northwestern, 
it's just tough to say. I like Pat Fitzgerald. He always puts out a tough team. Um, they're not always good, but you know, he's at least a consistent coach. And, but I think Bielema, I think he's got the right thing going there. Um, I'm, I, if I had to put my money somewhere, I'm putting it on, on him in Illinois. I agree with you um, in terms of the the story. I think Bielema's the the Big Ten guy that that can put this program over the top. I just don't think it's it's this year. And granted, they have a lot of returning players. Uh, it's a team that that played really tough last year after he uh, berated them before the the win on the road at uh, at Penn State. Hey, did it work? And it worked. So, uh, but I just don't see it this year. They've got two tough three game stretches. Uh, in the middle of the year in October, they've got at Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota. Then they've got their bye, uh, Nebraska, and then the the second three tough stretch: Michigan State, Purdue, at Michigan. That's a tough, tough sled at the end, and and just as tough in the middle of the of the year in October. So, uh, I I think it's got to be a bounce back year for for Northwestern uh, because their schedule is a little bit easier than that. Um, granted, uh, they do play. Uh, on the road at Penn State, uh, but you know, I, for for Pat Fitzgerald going every other year, uh, somehow he finds the the best in his guys, uh, just as as well as and if not better as Bielema. Uh, so it's got to be a bounce back here for Northwestern. Yeah, I'm I'm all in on Pat Fitzgerald. Um, I look, I don't think they're going to win the Big Ten West, but and I like Brett Bielema, but. Bielema's got a little bit of that Tom Thibodeau in him where he kind of, you know, gets his team to overachieve in year one. And then, you know, people kind of get start to get sick of his shit. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting, but also I just, I, I really like Pat Fitzgerald. I mean, how, how many years has he been at Northwestern now? They seem to find a way to overachieve, even if it's overachieving from three games expected to, to six games, you know, six wins. Right. I, I just, I, I have more faith in him doing that than Brett Bielema um, and the quarterback position too. I mean, I think the Wildcats as a whole are not going to be, you know, neither one of these teams are going to be slinging around a little bit, but um, I like Northwestern and the consistency of Pat Fitzgerald. And at least there's culture, there's, there's long-term track record of success there. So I'm going to take the Wildcats ahead of uh, Illinois, but um, all right, that's where we have it Uh, real quick. Ohio state wins the big 10. Yep. Yeah. Who do they beat? Scotty has them beating Purdue. Purdue. Yeah. I have them beating Wisconsin. Saying, same deal here. And beating Wisconsin. There you have it, folks. The Big Ten. It's going to go exactly the way we predicted it <laughs> because we're we we are psychics here on this pod. Um, that's all we have for this week. Go check out Scotty's uh two solo things he did for us, one on Bill Russell, one on the baseball trade deadline wrap-up. Uh, and we'll be back on Tuesday. We're gonna take on, wait for it. You guys got your Broncos and your Niners and your Penn State. So that means the AFC and NFC East is coming on Tuesday. 45 minutes on the Eagles and 10 minutes on everything else. Uh, Seems fair. (laughs) We will talk to you guys then. Have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the weather. Have fun. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you guys on Tuesday. Take it easy, everybody.